Hey everyone, welcome back to What's the Point? I'm Taylor Miller. And I'm Ned Marks. We hope you enjoyed our first podcast the other week regarding um, factors that influence the formation of the United States, um, as well as those factors which also continue to influence the contour of our nation. Um, we're here today to bring you another interesting podcast, and Ned can speak a little bit to that. That's right, and we wanted to create a podcast that was both thoughtful and insightful, as well as relevant to today's current events and news that's going on in the uh, the world today, to bring about a discussion of things that you might not often hear about. That's right, Ned. Uh, as we mentioned at the beginning of our first podcast, you know we really want to bring to the attention of our listeners um, uh, issues and ideas that are not only relevant uh, to contemporary society, but can really help expand the perspective of our audience base. That's right, and often our um, our idea is to allow current events to not just dictate, but kind of help guide along the topic for which we are um, going to discuss. Two weeks ago was just after July 4th, and we thought it would be um, enlightening to discuss America. And now, today is July 23rd, 2015. It is um, just a few days after New Horizons has um, breezed by Pluto, uh, livening up the discussion about the, the solar system and the way that Pluto is viewed as a planet, um, and in general about science. Yeah, it's, it's funny, Ned, because, you know, we were tossing around several ideas about what to discuss for our second podcast, and lo and behold, the subject that Ned will describe to you here momentarily um, is not only uh, incredibly interesting from a contemporary political perspective, but also from a greater philosophical perspective, but even more interesting, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of stuff going on in the news uh, tangential to the very subject. That's right. So today, July 23rd, um, marks the day that uh, NASA announced the discovery of Kepler 452b, um, also known as the most Earth-like planet in the most Sun-like solar system uh, that we've ever found. And even prior to this announcement, um, many thought. Uh, many great thinkers and you know wonders have wondered about what the ultimate fate of the universe is and what happens to humanity and what we find when we find alien life out there. And so today's podcast centers around the idea that we probably won't be around forever as humans. Yeah, I mean, for, you know, whether or not we end ourselves, whether or not some exogenous factor ends us, um, you know, remains to be seen. But the reality of the situation is that at some point in the short term or the long term or somewhere in between, humanity um, as a race and civilization will likely come to an end. It probably will. Um, it's not guaranteed. We're still around. We're 7 billion plus strong at this point. But there's probably going to be an ultimate fate of humanity. And I think a really good way to think about it is... You know, we don't know what's going to happen to the universe. We have to let the universe basically figure itself out. Um, and what we're trying to do is kind of do that as well. And while we do that, we evolve, we grow, we expand. You know, we get to 6 billion, we get to 7 billion people. And, you know, what happens next? Where do we go from there? Yeah, and, you know, tangential to this, um, you know, we didn't mention this in our first podcast, but a, a very a primary source of inspiration for this series comes from the amazing blog Wait But Why. That's right, and um, which is truly fantastic. Both Ned and I highly recommend to our listeners that you check out that blog um, at your leisure. It's profound to say the least. But one of the more interesting 
things that he mentions uh, fairly succinctly, despite some of the very long blog posts that he publishes, uh, that the author publishes, uh, is that human humanity as a race um, is accelerating in its development. So, you know, in the last, for, take for example, since 1991, we've discovered we've discovered well over a thousand planets outside of our solar solar system. Before that, we discovered absolutely none. And even outside of cosmology or astrophysics, um, in any aspect of the human race that you look at, uh, the rate at which we have developed and grown has accelerated over time. And, uh, you know, we think that, you know, I guess for one of the questions we have is, is that necessarily um, a good thing in terms of the discovery of, of uh, in terms of the discovery of other planets and the ability for the human race to advance? It certainly is, but are we advancing in the right direction? And that's part of the question we want to ask today, uh, which ties back into the ultimate fate of the human race. Right. And, and to go back to the Wait But Why blog, um, that's written by Tim Urban um, and, uh, and published by Andrew Finn. And they are an exceptional group of thinkers that have really um, caught on fire and really have helped accelerate the advancement of science and human interpersonal development and I love it and I'm really happy that it's doing just that and of course it is you know part of our inspiration as we create this podcast to to do the same um, and you know to go back to, to your point Taylor about whether this kind of advancement is um, you know of positive uh, influence is it is it actually going to benefit anything well we don't know what's beneficial what's non-beneficial and you know, you look at the rate of expansion of humanity over the past five hundred to thousand years, and some of the most um, you know conquering nations ultimately ended up in great demise. Uh, and you know, you can look at humanity as a whole right now and wonder, you know, if that's going to happen, how it might. And you know, ultimately, this universe will probably end, or at least our solar system, our planet, our sun. We've got a lot of time in between then, but. What do we do now to help ourselves um, move forward? I see. Now, so what you're saying is as the, hu as the great civilizations of the human race have risen and fallen over the centuries, so too may the human, ra human race as a whole right. rise and fall. Right. And, and you think about it in terms of species as well. You know, this earth has um, come to house a, quite a few number of species, uh, but 99.9% .9 of them over the course of the lifetime of the earth have come and gone. Right. Um, we're still here, but we weren't here most of the time. In fact, you know, we're only maybe five thousand years old, and the Earth is four point five billion years old, or so. Um, and so that really brings into the idea and the concept of time. And time is something that we as humans don't fully feel capable of grasping, at least on the scale of the universe. Um, but when it comes to our ultimate, um, you know, what happens to us in the long run, or short run, if we last the long run, you know, we have to break it down by time, I think. And so that's what I've tried to do in my thinking. Um, you know, I'm going to start with the short run. You know, a more pessimistic thinker would say that the human race is violent, um, you know, despite our staggering population, intelligence, technology, presence. Um, we've lived out a great existence. You know, we've built something that no one's ever seen before. Um, but our time is coming to an end. It could be. That's certainly possible. Would you say, Taylor? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it was only 30 to 50 years ago that um, it was quite common for people to think that the demise of humanity would come due to nuclear war. That's right. And 
nuclear war is still a possibility. Yeah, and it's 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 you know it's 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 a bit terrifying that humans are always devising ways to kill each other with greater efficiency. But the you know nuclear technology was really the first time uh, in human history that we could not only found a way to effectively and efficiently kill ourselves and entirely, but frankly to render the earth completely inhabitable purely by our own machinations. Right, and, and you know we're pretty lucky, I think, that only two nuclear weapons have ever been detonated over in an enemy soil. Um, or even detonated in, in angst at all. Um, you know, there was an event, actually. I don't know if many Americans know this, but a nuclear bomb was being transported over the United States and fell in a North Carolina town and did not detonate. I didn't know this. Yeah, this is true. Um, it, I learned it actually from John Oliver uh, <laughs> from wow. last week tonight. <laughs> and, you know, he went over kind of the sad state of our nuclear weapons program right now in that we have just massive amounts of warheads and they're not being very well kept um, and we've been lucky not to a be targeted or b destroy ourselves in the recent past yeah and and I mean it's it's we're lucky that we haven't killed ourselves um, especially in the context um, of how many external um, threats there are to human civilization um, outside of humans themselves. I mean, it was back in the Middle Ages that, you know, the Black Plague ran across Europe um, and wiped out a huge chunk of the European population. You know, we, we look at humans now as perhaps arguably the greatest threat to humans, but that doesn't mitigate the fact that there's still the potential for uh, viruses, bacteria, or insects to spread, um, you know, a communicable disease that is resistant to any form of uh, medication that we currently understand and are able to use. Right. So we can so we can look at it and see, you know, self destruction and see the the nuclear path that we went on, and also see that that humans are certainly capable of producing weaponry um, that can destroy ourselves, that can destroy the earth. Um, you know, we have antimatter technology to to make weapons, it, fortunately, I guess you could call it, um, is more expensive and inefficient than can be mass-produced at the moment, but it's terrifying. It yeah. is absolutely terrifying when you consider that an antimatter weapon would discharge 100% of the mass of an atom into energy as compared to about 0.4% of a hydrogen bomb. It's that small? It's tiny. Oh my. You would have ultimate chaos. You could destroy the earth with one weapon. Multiple times over. Multiple, multiple times over. Yeah, it's pretty insane. And of course, you're right. You, we could we could have um, catastrophe happen. And catastrophe is something that we can't predict, nor can we ultimately stop. You know, what if a meteor hits us? Right. What if, uh, um, you know, what if uh, an alien species comes and, and takes us out? What if a volcano erupts that wipes out the sunlight from reaching the ground. It's, right. it's all happened before. Right. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because as we discuss these, you know, bleak possibilities, um, you can really house them into two categories. One are exogenous threats that humans don't directly have control over and um, those which we do. And, you know, nuclear weapons and antimatter weaponry 
are, you know, perhaps the uh, paradigm, you know, the, the paradigmatic examples of the um, threats that we can directly control. But, you know, perhaps somewhere in between um, are issues such as global warming. That's right, yeah. I mean, global warming is something that we ultimately do have control over until it's too late. Right. Uh, it certainly is something that's been scientifically, I want to say, proven. Um, that may be a, a fairly debatable topic in some circles, but to me it's not, and to many scientists it's not. It's happening. The last year um, was the hardest year on record, and you know, 10 of 15 of the last years have subsequently been a little bit less hot, but yet hotter than the rest. Um, what we're doing to ourselves is something that we are not capable of governing at this point. Right, and I also, Ned, I think that this definitely, um, the, the issue of global warming definitely falls, at least in part, into a short-term threat to human life. Um, as the scientific community has largely um, agreed upon, um, you know, we are under the threat of radical change to our environment in the next one to two hundred years. That's right. Um, yeah. and, and I should also say irreparable change. That's right. And so I guess the question becomes, if we want to survive the short run, this is again talking about immediate future for humanity when we probably are coming to a tipping point. You know, what do we do? Are we capable of governing? Are we capable of self-management? And are we capable of, of looking out for our own best interests? You know, I look at humans and think we are individuals. We're, we're people that are held together by ourselves coming together, um, but ultimately our main ideal is to be self-interested. But you look at, I think there's also, you know, a threat from other dominant beings coming into play that have a more collective kind of spirit than humans do. Um, and that could be aliens, or that could be, you know, mutations that occur in some of the, the beings that are already on our planet. And I don't know if this is something that's really been thought about too much. Yeah, you know, Ned, I do agree with you that humans are ultimately self-interested. Um, however, um, under great enough duress or under a significant enough threat, uh, humans possess a, an amazing capacity to put their self-interest to the side um, for the sake of the common good. Um, it just requires um, an external stimuli that is significant or, or severe enough. I think you're right. I think we've seen that in um, the way that individual citizens together collectively rally for their country in right. times of war, in times of grief and strife and famine. And, um, you know, I think we've seen that in not necessarily the most recent past because there hasn't been a huge war that's devastated us since the, I'll call it the 40s. Um, but back then, and then certainly before that, a very nationalistic spirit arose. Right. And, you know, nationalism is a great example, although it oftentimes is associated with rallying behind calls for war and violence. But then you also see great movements that coagulate humans together for causes of peace. Perhaps uh, the most well-known example of the 20th century was the civil disobedience movement of Mahatma Gandhi. Um, you know, so humans, I think, are definitely capable and have shown throughout history, both recent and uh, in the distant past, um, in the context of recorded history, um, a capacity to rally for a greater good 
whether it is based on a call to arms or a call for nonviolence. That's right, yeah. And so I think we definitely do have that capacity. Um, you know, a great quote is, um, evil prevails when great men fail to act. Correct. And there are great men and there are great women, of course, um, on this planet right now. And there are evil men and there are evil women. And there's a great deal of strife and, and hostility. But I think that there's also an even greater deal of, you know, just the the desire to advance, prosper, and live. Right. And I guess, you know, the question, the million-dollar question, so to speak, is what the tipping point will be for humans to finally come together and put their self-interest to the side. Right. But now, this all becomes hy hypothetical as we move more into the, the medium run, you know, as we as we gather that we will ultimately survive, you know, we may end up um, hurting each other in the process, but our assumption now is that we defeat all um, Earth-like uh, atrocities and, and possible um, causes of death. You know, no alien species could come together and destroy us, or at least it doesn't happen. No Earth-like species um, gathers enough strength to, to beat us. You know, what happens as we move into the medium run? In the medium run, you know, we really are kind of faced with the idea that we're entirely subjected to the fate of the Earth. Right. And the Earth is completely out of our control, at least at this point. Um, so what do we need to do? We need to split our civilization. In my opinion, we need to grow and divide and start to settle in other worlds. Right. And the issue there is the limitation of technology and perhaps more importantly, the limits of physics as we understand it through uh, general and special relativity, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the limit of physics to the extent to which we can um, theorize and hypothesize new, new concepts and then engineer them around you know, how to move about the universe. We, I think, probably have more questions about the universe now than we ever have. Yeah. No, it's it's ironic. The more we find out about the universe, the less we, we the less we end up knowing. <laughs> at, you know, in it, not not necessarily in absolute terms, but as a percentage of what we know about what we see. That's right. Um, so then, you know, we start discussing how we're going to move about. That we're going to assume that we've figured out interstellar travel, or at least within our own solar system. I think it's doable. I think that's at least something that we can foresee. Um, we could foresee within the next hundred years landing landing a human on Mars and then possibly even setting up a colony. And I know the the mission of SpaceX uh, is to actually do that. Right. Speaking of, speaking of amazing people, um, I think you know one of the greatest uh, sources of influence not you know for Ned and I besides the wonderful people over at Wait But Why. Um, is definitely Elon Musk, who runs not only SpaceX, but also Tesla. Um, but, you know, without going on a tangent about how awesome Elon Musk is, <laughs> uh, you know, being able to colonize Mars, uh, I think, is a very feasible possibility in the next one to 200 years, as Ned said. The question is how we can sustain life in the long term on another planet such as Mars. I mean, we'd either have to terraform it, or just get used to living in capsules, right? I suppose. I mean, Mars is, is an uninhabitable right now. There's no water. There's no atmosphere. Uh, it's very cold. And it's pretty much a desert. 
Now, we would have to transport all of our supplies from Earth and then find a way to make them sustainable and, and grow. And that's a challenge that neither you nor I think we're very capable of, uh, of talking about, um, hypothesizing about, theorizing. You know, it's possible. It could be done. I don't know how, but I don't know how not either. I think we'd have to take a few cues from uh, the great uh, movie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Total Recall. <laughs> <laughs> Well, science science fiction often becomes science fact. Yep, that's true. No, you know, if we could colonize Mars, that would be, um, I think, you know, with respect to the medium term, uh, uh, the medium term time length with regards to uh, this, you know survival of the human race, um, that would be not only a milestone, but it would really prove that we can live. Um, in separate venues in the context of at least a galaxy. Yeah. So let's assume a huge assumption, but we are moving into the medium run here in terms of time, that we have colonized another planet, or we can colonize other planets within the solar system, and we become a more than type 1 civilization on the Kardashev scale. Why don't you explain that scale very quickly for our, for our listeners? Sure. So the Kardashev scale is a uh, hypothetical scale um, consisting of types of civilizations based on their strength. And this strength really uh, revolves around how well they can use their home. Um, type 1 civilizations are civilizations that have been theorized to be able to use the entire um, energy production of their home planet. Um, this is a th this is a scale that um, is somewhat well known in the scientific community. Carl Sagan, back when he was alive, um, estimated, and I don't know the math behind this or if there's math at all, that humans were about 0.7 of the way to a type one civilization. Seventy percent. About seventy percent of the way to um, a civilization that could use the entirety of the energy that is available to them on their home planet. It's a very interesting idea. So then we move into, there's type two civilizations, and a type two civilization would be able to harness the entirety of the power of their home star. And this is all theoretical again at this point. No one knows how to do this, but there have been theories as to how to do it. Um, one of them is a Dyson sphere. This is a, again, theoretical object that would um, create a, uh, a spherical circumference around the sun and at least for us the sun and be able to capture all the energy output that it creates and that is of course something that we don't have any kind of capacity to do at this point but perhaps we will in the future and then there's a type 3 civilization which uh, is entirely science fiction at this point it is a civilization that has the ability to um, colonize and capture all of the energy produced within its home galaxy. Wow. It's a pretty phenomenal thing to think about. But in general, I mean, we're not able to do it right now, but we think that it should be possible, at least, you know, from a standpoint of, of time. Uh, colonizing an entire galaxy, we think, you know, for the Milky Way, has been estimated to take maybe 8 to 10 million years which is really not that long in the context of the universe. But, of course, logistical problems <laughs> would be a nightmare. We wouldn't know how to do it. We're maybe not advanced enough right now. Um, but anyway, the thought is that we can move, we can expand, we can grow. But the problem is that if we do so, 
we will then evolve, and we will evolve differently. And by this time, we'll probably not be humans. So what you're saying, Ned, is that once humanity starts colonizing other planets, let alone solar, not, not just planets, but other solar systems within the Milky Way galaxy, given enough time, we will fundamentally diverge into two, two or more separate races. I believe so, yeah. I mean, if you look at how humanity has diverged on Earth, um, they, they became quite different, you know, from skin color to, um, to all sorts of different attributes around the world um, before we all came back and globalized. And if we move into a, a type of civilization where we have different planets that we live on, uh, we certainly will develop different traits that allow us to be better suited and acclimated to those home planets. And that, that seems perfectly reasonable, and I would also add that I think that would happen much more quickly than people might anticipate. You know, going back to what I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, humanity is developing at an accelerating rate, and that not only includes technological innovation and advancement, but it also includes uh, mutation. Um, I know that scientists have studied, um, have, have proven uh, that humans nowadays have mutated in the span of a few thousand years or less uh, compared to back several thousand years ago when it would take a vastly, a vastly greater number of years for um, a similar level of a mutation to occur. Wow, is that right? Yeah, no, um, scientists have discovered, um, I believe it's in people living in Nepal, mutations that have occurred in a shorter span as less than 2,000 years. Wow. So I think, you know, let, and that's only on Earth. You know, if we start going to radically different climates and different parts of the galaxy, um, who knows how quickly things could change. Right, and we also have to take into account our technology. I mean, we have computers now, and even computers might start to uh, look more like humans as we move forward, or humans might start to look more like computers. Yeah, or we might combine them both into one entity. That's right. Like at cyborgs. That, <laughs> at that point, we probably cease to really be humans. You know, imagine a chip being put in your brain and you being able to be a human calculator. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because you know, we already have prosthetic limbs, and I'm sure it's going to happen very soon when we have limbs that are, instead of being controlled by um, impulses from the brain are controlled by chips that are implanted in the brain or other parts of the body. And, you know, I guess one of the big questions that brings about um, in the medium and perhaps even the, I'd say the medium term, uh, is, you know, the advancement of artificial intelligence and, you know, how that, you know, what that implies or infers for the advancement or destruction of humanity. Yeah, I mean, one would even call it the short term. I mean, a lot of great thinkers are very concerned about artificial intelligence. Right, you're right. Um, Stephen Hawking, for one, has, has warned against it. Um, uh, Elon Musk, uh, for another. Um, you know, Google, obviously, is one of the main companies that is researching some artificial intelligence and is being highly watched um, by some of these high thinkers. Um, but, you know, we ultimately might be able to, and we're going to take a, a more optimistic route here, control this, this high level of artificial intelligence. And let's say we do, and we can make it a, uh, a useful survival tool for humans. This could allow us to extend our life life period to, you know, 200, 500, 1,000 years. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's, it's a definitely, it's a fascinating idea, Ned. Uh, you know, uh, the, the field of medical science um, uh, has 
without a doubt, increase the uh, well-being and lifespan of the average human. Um, but computer technology perhaps has the ability to do so to a much greater extent than medicine ever has and perhaps ever can. Right. I mean, imagine we have little nanobots that can, you know, even at the, the molecular level uh, or even the cellular level, go into our body and self-correct and replace and replenish and, yeah. and heal and, and um, you know, make malnourished nourished. Yeah, and I mean, that, that could be much more efficient than even stem cell technology. Right. And this would allow us to be able to, to live for a long time and, and, and explore and colonize and, and um, you know, move about the solar system and the galaxy in a way that we can't at this point. Right. Um, okay. So that's a very interesting thought. And again, these are all hypothetical. We cannot really get into what that would look like specifically. There are two other hypotheticals that I want to just touch upon that are very interesting. Um, and these are things that you know, I'm interested in because I've read about them, and I know that science and physics don't really have an answer for them yet, and the medium run seems like the right time. This will sound like science fiction, and it probably is, but imagine if we can look inside a black hole. What would we find there? Um, <laughs> uh, a lot of stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know either, yeah. but there's theories that say that it could extend us into a new universe. Oh, like or, a wormhole. Or that it could, um, you know, create a new Big Bang and, and start a new universe all over. Um, but we don't know, and we don't have any way of knowing. We right. can't even see what, what goes on in there. Right. But that's one thought. Um, another thought is, is a very interesting idea called the technological singularity. Explain this. So the technological singularity is the idea that as we continue to grow and advance in technology, we should be able to see, and this, this comes down to what's called the Fermi Paradox, why can't we see any human, I'm sorry, any uh, alien um, life forms outside of our own, our own Earth or our own knowledge? Um, and one thought is that it's not because they have grown so big, it's because they've actually gotten really small. And that technology has allowed them to... Um, go so small that they have transformed into a different universe. And Taylor's looking at me like now like I'm, well, a no. clown. But no, I not at be. all. I just, I, I, might be. I just don't fully understand this. And it's, it's you know, I, I'm looking at Ned, not as if Ned is a clown, but simply my ignorance is showing. If, <laughs> if, if you guys can see me right now, my ignorance is quite obvious. Well, my nerdness is quite obvious <laughs> as well. Uh, this is something that I like to read about. Um, it's... It's very, um, it's very not impossible. <laughs> I'll say that much, um, but no one knows really if that's the case. But it is an interesting case. You know, the Fermi paradox um, hypothesizes a lot of reasons why we might not have seen uh, other other species out there, and this is one potential hypothesis. Right. And that's it. Right. Uh, one that we may not have really ever thought about. Instead of getting so big, it's actually. The idea to get so small. Interesting. So, 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 Ned, we've talked about the short term. We've talked about the medium term. What's in store for the long term here? So, the long term assumes that we get through the short term, and are then able to colonize other um, planets and solar systems, and potentially the galaxy. And then, 
the medium term is, you know, do we devolve into a totally different species that um, ultimately ends up warring and fighting and killing each other, or do we then move into a new universe? And if not, then we can discuss the long term. And the long term is really tied to what's the fate of our universe. Right. And, and you know, it's, the, that subject, uh, you know, in the last, uh, I would say, decade, um, there's been a few very interesting um, discoveries in the scientific community on that topic. I think chief amongst them is the uh, fact that the the rate of expansion of the universe isn't constant, or and it isn't slowing down either, but contrary to maybe uh, intuition, the universe is actually expanding at an accelerating rate. Yeah, and it's, and it's a very interesting thought process that is incredibly difficult for any human to get their mind around, and it's that at the Big Bang, the universe expanded at a rate faster than really is conceivable, and then slowed down, and is now expanding again. And at a faster rate. At a faster rate than it has been. Um, and so, you know, it's it could be the reason why we see more dark energy, or think we see more dark energy than right. we see dark matter. Right. Um, because dark energy is the force that accelerates the expansion of the universe. Right, and so, so if the universe is expanding at a faster and faster rate, and humanity's survival in the long term is contingent upon the sustainability of the universe. What does this accelerating rate have to say about that? Like, is the is the fact that the universe is expanding at a quicker and quicker rate a good or a bad thing? Well, to call it a bad thing would say that you know it, it's doing something wrong, and I don't know that it's doing anything wrong for us ultimately, and for life, ultimately, yeah, it's a bad thing. Because galaxies will drift apart, even black holes, ultimately, after billions and trillions of years, will disappear and disintegrate. Um, stars will no longer form, there will be no light, and there will be no Earths. Or at least they'll be all very, very cold. So the universe will basically turn into a frozen wasteland, is what you're saying? Theoretically, that is one of the hypotheses. hypotheses. If the universe continues to expand at an accelerating rate. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are other hypotheses, like the Big Rip um, is one of them, in which things get too spread out, and it causes a rip in, in the universe, and everything ultimately collapses or, or crushes or just explodes. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know the physics behind it, but it's a, a hypothesis. Um, but either way, we, we can't do anything about this. This is, this is happening... And it's only observable. It's not changeable. Right. So out of all the possibilities for human destruction and survival, the long term is where we have absolutely no control. Right. And I think ultimately what it means is that if we want to survive, we have to find a way to transverse into another universe. Wow, my mind just got blown. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know what else to say. How do we do that? Got any ideas? Nope, and I, I don't know if anyone does. Maybe we'll have to worry about that, let's say, down the road. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, we welcome you with any ideas, any of our listeners. Please feel free, call us, write us. Uh, we're at a loss. We don't know where to go from here. Um, we're, just, we're just searching for answers right, right now. And, and we hope you guys understand, um, you know, at this juncture, that we bring ideas to you guys to discuss not to disseminate knowledge, but simply to provoke a larger conversation. 
Um, so we're always more than happy to hear from you guys with anything that you might have to add or contribute um, to the topics that we bring about. And if you have um, any topics that you would like us to discuss in future podcasts, we're more than open to hearing about them. That's right. And this is the What's the Point podcast. My name is Ned Marks. And I'm Taylor Miller. And we've enjoyed bringing you this topic today. Again, what is the ultimate fate of humanity? I guess in conclusion, Taylor, you know, what happens to us? Um, well, uh, I think I'm going to go to sleep and worry about it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think it does any good for any of us to worry. Um, I do want to say that, you know, we do need to continue to grow and evolve. Um, we need to continue to be open thinkers, open-minded, um, and not hateful, and, and try and work together uh, to continue the advancement of the human race. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that progress... Um, in the net is definitely a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, Ned and I feel very strongly about that, and we hope you guys do too. I mean, whether you do or not, again, you know, let us know. We're always interested in your thoughts, um, uh, whether they are in agreement or disagreement with what we have to say. Right. So let's hope that we can survive this yep. short, medium, and long-term span of, of humanity. Um, let's hope that we all can prosper. And I think if we do, we won't be humans by that time. Probably, we'll be, probably not. We'll I be superhumans. Yeah, so or cyborgs or something like that. But uh, for now, uh, take care in the very short term. We will catch you guys next Thursday. That's right. Um, again, this is Taylor Miller and Ned Marks, and we wish you guys a good night. Thank you very much.